Well, good morning, everybody. If I haven't met you before, my name is Grant, and if you've been around Christ the King for a while, you're going to learn something very quickly. I'm not a very good fake. And so I'm not even going to try and pretend that I'm just Mr. Happy this morning. I'm not. I'm sad. Uh, we have had an unprecedented wave of loss and grief in our church family. And we have, uh, I, I personally have got three memorials this week to do. Uh, Pastor Kevin has another one. I mean, it's just been wave after wave after wave. And so we need your prayers for grace and we need uh, patience from you as we try to love families. Um, funerals don't just fall into place. You actually have to plan them and walk through them. And so uh, we just need a little extra grace from everybody over the next couple of weeks. And if you'd be praying for us, that would be awesome as we uh, help people grieve. So much of this series has taken place in a, a beautiful little section of the Middle East that we would call Israel. And if you'd like to if you'd like to walk where Jesus walked and hang out with some of these Old Testament places, I'd like to invite you to go on a trip with me. Um, in May of this year, we'll be going again back to Israel for 10 days. It's a beautiful experience, and I just want to encourage you. Uh, all the There's information in your program. We're having a meeting today after the 11.15 service up in room 215, and I'd love to walk you through the process of, of what it is to go, and, and, and uh, love to have you join me if that's something that God would lay on your heart. So... <clears throat> If you haven't been with us over the last uh, two and a half months, we've walked through 15 chapters of the book of Genesis. I thought we were going to get through most of it. We're not. So we're going to get through the end of Genesis 16. That's it. And then next summer, we're going to pick it up from there and we're going to keep right on moving because um, it's time to move into a different section in fall. Uh, if you haven't been with us, let me give you an update in about 94 seconds. In Genesis chapter 1, God creates and it's all good. In Genesis chapter 2, God creates a man and a woman. He hosts a naked wedding and he strikes a template for godly marriage that has not changed to this day. In Genesis chapter 3, God opens the, the, the door to man's free will. It's something called choice and decision and consequences and boundaries show up because there's a conversation with a snake who lies and deceives and people are still listening to that snake today and, and God introduces this thing called free will and Adam and Eve use free will to walk away from God. You used God's free will to walk towards God today and I'm really glad that you're here and in the middle of painful choices in the face of those sinful decisions, God chooses to cover his creation with grace and, and out of evil we actually see something beautiful and good. In Genesis chapter 4, we see sibling rivalry and hotly debated sacrifices. We see murder, but we also see God once again even covering that tragic decision of Cain. And we see God's relentless plan of love begin to pick up momentum because God is always covering, always reaching, always pursuing. In Genesis chapter 5, there's a genealogy that covers all of Adam's kids, Kenan, Enosh, Methuselah, Enoch. The list goes on and on all the way up to a guy by the name of Noah. In Genesis chapter 6, we have angel sex, giant offspring, a new definition of a hero, and God's instructions to said man named Noah to build an ark. In Genesis chapter 7, God hits a reset button because mankind was evil all of the time, perpetually, and without excuse and so God decides to, to flood the earth with a global flood. In Genesis chapter 8, the water goes down, Noah and his family emerge, and God begins to create all over again. In Genesis chapter 9, the hero of Genesis chapter 8, he ends up drunk and naked, and we see the pain of human choices. In Genesis chapter 10, a lot of names and places. In Genesis chapter 11, people begin to build a monument to themselves. God gets upset. He comes against them. He says, not so fast. He puts a glitch in their Google translator, and the rest is history. In Genesis chapter 12, 
12. We're introduced to Abram, as we all know as Abraham, and his story starts off so good. But in Genesis 13 and 14, he lies. He has trouble with a lot and a lot. If you don't know what that means, you should listen to last week. And then in Genesis 15, the story takes a disturbing but beautiful twist. Certain parts of life are disturbing. They make us uncomfortable. Talking about death makes people uncomfortable. That's why it got so quiet while we were praying. That's why funerals are tough. Blood makes people uncomfortable. You talk about blood and people get just kind of squeamish because some people can't even stand the, the sight of it. Fear makes people uncomfortable and there's just little slices of life that often show up and make you disturbed. You're uncomfortable because of them. Let me give you an example. I have, I have three dogs. If you add them together... Um, <clears throat> They don't equal one real dog. They're, <coughs> they're basically cats that bark is what I have. It's what I have. And so this is Bria. The one in the middle is Bella. We rescued her um, from a shelter, and that is Shay on the far side. She looks terrified in that moment. And, and my first job of the morning every single day is to go to the laundry room where we hold them hostage overnight so they don't keep me awake. And I release them. I set them free. And they are so overjoyed to be released. And this past week, I would walk into the laundry room, open the door. The dogs would go scampering to go outside and do their thing. And on three different occasions, this is what I found in their room. Now, if you can't make it out, it's a stuffed dog face down in their water bowl. And at first, you kind of look at it and you go, that's really, really sweet. He's taking a drink. Is he taking a drink or are they drowning him? <laughs> Three times, same week. It's disturbing. <laughs> And in a few moments, I'm going to read you some scripture, and for some of you, it's going to be disturbing. It's a little graphic, but I want you to stick with me. But before we get there, I needed to set the stage. In Genesis 15, God and Abraham are having a conversation. It summarizes everything that they just walked through in Genesis 13 and Genesis 14. I call it a moment of comfort because God comes to Abram, and this is what he says. After this, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. Do not be afraid, Abram. I am your shield, your very great Reward. It's the first time in the entire Bible God says the words, don't be afraid. And apparently it's a really, really big deal because God deals with the theme of fear in over 500 verses. And the phrase, fear not or do not be afraid, shows up in Scripture 365 times. And you can turn that into something if you want to. I'll leave that math to you. But I would simply turn it into a statement. God knows more often than not that because He's God and we're not, that He freaked us out just a little bit. And I think the reason that we get a little bit afraid and God has to keep saying, don't be afraid, is because we have this latent fear in the back of our mind that if we push all in with Jesus, that at some point he's going to ask us to do something weird. It freaks us out, right? He's going to ask you to build a big boat in your neighborhood that's going to take up the whole street. He's going to ask you to tear down a tower that people build of themselves and it's going to make you unpopular. Or, or the biggest fear, he's going to ask you to be a missionary in the part of the world that you don't want to go to. And just so you know, he might do exactly that. But just so you know, if he does, you're going to be okay. 
Because the same God who said to a childless man, you're going to be the father of an entire nation, made a promise to Abram, and he makes it to every single person within earshot this morning. And this is what he says. God says, I'm your shield. I'll protect you. And I'm your great reward. It's not a pile of stuff or a bunch of people's opinions of you. God says, I will be your reward. And the beautiful thing about my reward is that it's not temporary. It's actually eternal. And as often happens, when God comforts us with truth, we find a way to object. So it makes sense that Abram has a moment right here. And the moment basically goes like this. Okay, God, so you said I was going to be the father of an entire nation. You're going to spawn a great nation. Here's the problem. I have a glitch. There's no kids. Hard to be the father of a great nation if you don't have any kids. So we go from a moment of comfort to a moment of objection. The Bible says this, and Abram said, you've given me no children, so a servant in my household will be my heir. So let me translate the Hebrew for you. Dear God, thanks for the promise, but there's an issue. I don't have any children. It's hard to spawn a nation without any kids. And you made up the kid rule. I'm just following the rules. So what's up with that? And I love what God does not do. God does not shame him. God doesn't go, really, Abram? I did not notice that. That child, that just slipped right by me. So glad you brought that to my attention. Let me get on that right now. He doesn't do that. Instead, he pushes in and he restates the promise. Verse 5, chapter 15, he took him outside and said, look up at the sky and count the stars. If indeed you can count them. And then he said to him, so shall your offspring be. And there's the moment. The most powerful moment. To believe or not to believe, that's the question. Do you believe what the world tells you is true and what is possible? Or do you live in this world of supernatural faith that says, with God, all things are possible? And it's easy to get stuck there. Do I trust my reality and how I see the world? Or do I trust a God who so far, just in the first 15 chapters of Genesis, have asked Adam to work with no clothes, Noah with no rudder, Abram with no map, and now Abram again with no kids? Now watch what happens in a moment of faith. Verse 6, Abram believed the Lord and he credited it to him as righteousness. Okay, church, let's just cut through it and get to the bottom line. Abram made the choice to believe even though all of the external circumstance led him in a different direction. He led him to believe. Will you? Will I? Because God made promises to you. God made a promise to you about presence. He said, I'd never leave you. Do you believe that he's always there? He made a promise to you about provision. I will meet all of your needs. He didn't say anything about wants. I will cover all of your needs. Do you believe him? He made a promise to you about power. He said, and you will receive power. Greater things will you be able to do. Do you actually believe him? Abram makes a statement, and, and, and it goes against all logical reason. At this point in time, he's old. Sarah's old. Well beyond childbearing years. And Abram says... I choose to believe that even though everything culturally, biologically, politically, socially, economically, even though everything leads me to a different conclusion, I choose to believe. If God says I'm going to be the father of a great nation, I guess that's plan A. 
I love that little phrase. He credited to him his righteousness. It's a moment of confession. I got pulled over the other day. Don't judge me. <laughs> oh, yeah. yeah, I'll get to you in a minute. All right, so pulled out of the back of the parking lot. Cruiser pulls in right behind me, follows me for a long time. Freaked me out because I'm a rule follower. That's how it works. Finally pulled over, and I'm a little embarrassed because in God's sovereignty, in that particular moment, he chose that almost all of Christ the King Community Church happened to be driving <laughs> on the corner of Meridian and Bakerview. And to all of those people who waved and smiled, thank you so much for your encouragement. <laughs> I appreciate that. <laughs> really? Officer comes up to my window. Did you know your taillights are out? No, I did not know that. <laughs> I did not know that. And I'm thinking to myself, really? <laughs> All the criminals going on? <laughs> one pastor with a taillight, and that's who you choose to set an example of. That's just wonderful. So he takes my license, my registration, and he leaves me sitting there. And suddenly, the floor of my car needed to be cleaned. And so I'm down low. <laughs> He comes back, he goes, hey, nice driving record. Get your light fixed. You're good to go. <laughs> I wanted to get out of my car and call to all of you that passed by. Do you hear that? Perfectly clean driving record right here. Not a blemish, not a mark, and I'm Canadian. <laughs> What are you looking at? <laughs> Bring your driver's license. Come on, man. You want to talk? Let's talk. My driving record is clean. I'm a righteous American driver right here. Check it out. <laughs> man, I made a decision. I'm going to try and drive righteously. And now this man with a badge and the authority to punish me, he declared me to be crystal pure clean. God declares Abram righteous, but then as often happens, a little doubt creeps in. It happens all the time because life trips us, right? I gave my life to Jesus, but I, I don't know. I keep tripping. Did I, I wonder if it really took. I wonder if I'm really saved. God said I'm a new creation, but I keep falling back into these old sinful patterns, and I, and I still kind of like to do that old stuff. So I wonder, did, did it really did it really? take? Am I really a new creation? Am I really a child of God? Am I really no longer a slave to fear? I mean, I got baptized to remember it. I totally remember going under the water, coming back up again, death, burial, resurrection. I totally get it. But, but, but did it work? Did it really sink in? We often have those moments of doubt right after God has declared us righteous. And the reason that that happens is because the devil so desperately wants you to believe that it didn't take. Can I tell you something? What God says took, took. And anything you hear to the contrary is a lie from the pit of hell. And you have the right as a child of God to tell the devil where to go. (laughs) 
was a moment of doubt. Verse 8, but Abram said, Sovereign Lord, how can I know that I will gain possession of it? How can I know? You ever ask that? How can I know that God's going to come through? How can I know that God's timing is perfect? How can I know whether or not I'm supposed to actually marry this person? How can I know if this is really God's will for my life? How can I know if I can trust God with my relationships and my time and my money and my sexuality and my life and my kids? How can I know if God was trustworthy? He just asked a question. I think all of us ask the question at different times. How can I know? I tell you what, if I was God in that moment, I would have flipped. I would have flipped it and I would have said, how can I know you're going to be faithful, Abram? You puny little man. You don't have a very good track record. You're lying about your wife, pretending she's your sister. But that's not what God does. God doesn't flip it. Instead, God does something crazy. He forges a covenant. And this is where it gets a little disturbing. Okay? Stick with me. The Bible says, chapter 15, verse 9. So the Lord said to him, bring me a heifer, a goat, and a ram, each three years old. Along with a dove and a young pigeon, Abram brought all of these, cut them in two, and arranged the halves opposite of each other. The birds, however, he did not cut in half. And then the birds of prey came down on the carcasses, but Abram drove them away. Okay, this is confusing for us, but if you were an ancient Hebrew person, this makes total perfect sense. They knew exactly what was going on. Some of you are freaking out because you just don't like the idea of of animals dying or being cut in half. I, I don't blame you. The reason we don't like these kind of pictures in our mind is because we live in a buffered culture. It's true, right? We want to eat the burger, we just don't want to know any of the process that got it to the plate. True? True. Right? What's really happening here is God's making a covenant. Covenants are not new to us. You made them in elementary school. Right? Cross my heart, hope to die. Stick a needle or a pin, you know, and it's just kind of, that's kind of twisted when you think about it, right? But it's interesting to me. We've been doing that kind of, we've been doing that kind of promise keeping for a long time, that we've been making those kinds of, of, of covenant, and that's really what it is. Covenant is a word for a promise, but it's a really, really, really serious promise because it's a solemn vow that doesn't just involve two people in our context, it also involves a third party named Jesus. It's a solemn vow that bound people together that said, you can trust me. I'm going to do what I said I was going to do. You can count on my commitments. But more than just an oath, it was also known, if you need the legal term, it was an oath of malediction, which means if I break my word, may the same thing that happened to these animals happen to me. That's why that little kid's rhyme, it's an oath of malediction. Cross my heart, hope to die. Stick. I mean, may something bad happen to me if I don't keep my word. And so historically, that's what they would do. They would take animals, like a calf and a goat and a ram, and they would cut them in half. And don't freak out, because often after they were finished the covenant ceremony, they would actually throw a celebration, and they would use that meat in order to feed their families. It was a really, really big deal. But you would cut the animals literally in half, and you put one on one side, one on the other side, as a way of saying, if you don't keep my word, then may what happened to this happen to me. And then the two parties that were entering into the agreement and making the covenant would walk on a blood trail in between the pieces. That sounds kind of gruesome and bloody to us. And I want to make a Starbucks joke about half-calf right now to make everybody just relax. But it doesn't seem to fit. 
This covenant walk is a really, really, really big deal, and it seems strange in our culture, but it wasn't in their culture because it was so serious. In fact, if you actually look at the Hebrew word that's attached to covenant, it's literally translated, you didn't make a covenant, you cut one. You cut a covenant. And it was an ancient way of very serious people saying, if I don't follow up, cross my heart, hope to die. God creates a covenant with Abram. And we've seen this before in Genesis, right? Remember the covenant that God made with Noah? God comes to Noah and says, I'm never going to flood the earth again. And the sign of that was a rainbow. And every time we see a rainbow, we're supposed to remember that was God's sign of promise. Well, God makes a covenant with Abram here, and he's going to create a great nation. And his sign was actually something called circumcision, which is disturbing because I'm sure there were times when Abram says, can't we do like the rainbow thing? Instead, I get surgery that, mm, we'll come back to that in a couple weeks. God cuts a covenant with Abram. And the Bible says this happens in verse 12. As the sun was setting, Abram fell into a deep sleep and a thick and dreadful darkness came over him. And then God unwinds and tells him the journey that's going to be in front of this nation. It's not going to be an easy one. And then the Bible says this in verse 17. When the sun had set and darkness had fallen, a smoking fire pot with a blazing torch appeared and passed between the pieces. On that day, the Lord made a covenant with Abram and said, to your descendants, I give this land. Okay, so get the picture. Okay, get the picture in your head. The animals have been cut in half. The blood is drained and made a trail. And then a smoking pot and a torch pass through. For the rest of the Bible, every time you see fire, it represents the presence of God. But I want you to notice something because the Hebrew mind would have gone, whoa, 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 no, no, you can't do that. You can't do that. You can't do that. One party can't walk the trail alone. There has to be two parties. But I want you to notice something. The pot and the torch symbolizing the presence of God walks the blood trail alone. It's like God saying, I already know you can't keep your half of the bargain. You're not strong enough. You're not righteous enough. You're not good enough. So instead of just calling the whole thing off and saying, forget this, I'll walk the blood trail for you. Even though I know you're going to make decisions and break my heart and break your promise, I'm going to take the whole curse of this covenant on me. I'm going to walk this for both of us. That just stopped me in my tracks. I'm like, no, Abram, get, get in there. Come on, dude. You're supposed to be us. We're all of your kids, right? Get, get, get on the trail. You need to walk it with them. But God just like, I'll walk it for you. I'll walk it for you. And I gave my heart to Jesus a long time ago, but I'll be honest with you, I break my covenant with him every single time. I make the decision on that great big cycle that we've been talking about for the last couple of months. I make decisions every day where I break that covenant 
been thinking about it this past week. I get a lot of email. Like, I mean, a lot of email. Some of it's real email and some of it's junk. Some things I subscribe to, some things keep coming up. And, and, and I've fallen in love with the word in my email box. The word is unsubscribe. <laughs> unsubscribe. Now, sometimes I unsubscribe and they keep coming back anyway. It drives me nuts. I can't believe the number of times I hit unsubscribe when it comes to my covenant with Jesus. But God, I don't want to do that. That's going to make me feel uncomfortable. Unsubscribe. I don't want to play by your repressive sexual rules. I want to do what I want with who I want when I want because I'm important. Unsubscribe. I don't want to give you a tenth of my income. Are you kidding me? Unsubscribe. I don't want to renew my mind with Scripture. I would rather let the world and, and, and TV and media shape my thoughts because that's just an easier way to get it done. Unsubscribe. You know, it breaks my heart to think about it, but the truth is every time I unsubscribe, I'm forced to remember that Jesus walked a blood trail of his own suffering for me. And I, I'm so tempted to wrap myself in a buffered culture because, because just like I don't want to know how my burger got to the plate, I don't want to know how my salvation got there either. I don't want to be reminded that they had to cut my Savior in half in order to save me. I don't want to think about the fact that he bled for me. I don't want to think about the fact he did it alone. That's why for me, when we go to Israel, that Via Dolorosa walk, it's, it's, it's gut-wrenching. We don't like talking about it. Until you go through it, you don't understand. I'll be honest with you. I, I had no idea about the process of childbirth. I didn't know. I didn't know. I didn't know about bodily fluids. I didn't know about the level of pain that my wife was going to go through in order to give birth to a child. I didn't know that panic sets in when the dilation process doesn't go quick enough and they start saying things like ambulance and emergency and evacuation and we've got to get her to another hospital for an emergency C-section. I didn't know that sometimes they have to cut the one you love in order to get the one that you're about to love actually out and into the world. And I'm just thinking to myself, they're, they're hurting my wife and there's no order in the process and that just flips me out and, and, and there's fluid and blood and slimy stuff and everything is just like, I can't do this until they handed me my son. When I looked at him and then I looked at her, She's my hero. And it's not fair. And if you struggle with it, you can blame Adam and Eve. <laughs> the truth is this, right? We're born in blood. We live with blood. We die without blood. Life is in the blood. And we have this picture in our mind of these animals and it's hard and it's disgusting. And some of you are just like, I'm not going to be able to eat for a week and this is just hard for me and I don't know why I came to church this morning and now we get to this place of, of the Old Testament and we just got dead animals laying all over the place and we got a, a pot and a torch walking through all on their own and we're going, what in the world does this have to do with me? And Jesus shows up and says, there's a new covenant. 
The Bible says in the same way after supper, Jesus took a cup saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood, which is poured out for you. And all of a sudden, all the way back in Genesis chapter 15, there's a snapshot and the Bible screams one more time. It's always about Jesus. You can always find Jesus in every single piece, in every single chapter, in every single verse. There's a little piece of him because he's got his fingerprints all over it. And not only is he willing to walk through a blood trail alone for you, he also wants you to join him in this beautiful covenant because he keeps saying throughout history, I cut the covenant of salvation for you, walk the blood trail for you. You didn't have to spill your blood, I spilled my blood for you. I poured myself out for you. I made a promise and I kept it for you. You broke your promise, but it doesn't matter. I'll keep walking. I'll go down it again if I have to. My body was broken for you. Cross my heart. Hope to die. And he did. But he didn't stay dead. You know, it balances funerals for me. Weddings. I love it. Some of you watched Braden and Olivia's uh, YouTube thing of their, of their vows. I love that moment. Watching my boy make promises that I know on an earthly level he'll never be able to keep, but with God's help, he's got a shot. And then watching my new daughter speak words of life into him. And those moments are beautiful. And in three weeks, we're going to do it again. And my baby girl's going to grab my arm and I'm going to turn into a complete and total puddle. You know it's going to happen. <laughs> and I'm so thankful Pastor Derek is doing the wedding because I wouldn't be able to talk anyway. So bro, me and you together, it's going to be great. I love weddings. But you know what I love even more? It's vow renewal ceremonies. Did one about a month ago celebrating 60 years together, 60 years, and I didn't even get to say anything to him. She didn't even make it down the aisle, and he starts talking. I still choose you. You're still her. I'd do it again. I mean, he was just coming undone after 60 years, and I'm like, oh, God, that we could all do that. commitment again. So church, here we go. Time to bring this in for a landing. I just need to ask you, where are you at with your covenant? Has your commitment been slipping over the summertime? I mean, is this one of those days where you're just kind of going through the motions? Like, you know, I got through the fair, I got a food and grease hangover, and so now I got to come and, and do penance and, and, and figure out how am I going to put the pieces together? How have you been doing with your part of the bargain, the covenant, the oath? Any secret sin crept in the side this summer? Any hidden habits that you know are not honoring to God and, and, and unsubscribe? Any relationship where, where you hurt somebody or you wounded somebody or somebody hurts you and you said, I'm not going to leave vengeance to God. That just doesn't seem right. I'm going I'm to nurse this one down in my soul. I'm going to hold on to it. I'm going to choose not to forgive, unsubscribe.
How about your time? You know, maybe, maybe there was a time when, when you woke up first thing in the morning and the first thought was, I have got to connect with the God who gave me the gift of this day. And, and, and your prayer time was vibrant and living in your scripture, was, was like a lifeblood that was flowing through your veins. And I'm just wondering if maybe for some of us, we've, we've put the book on the shelf and it's gathering dust and we stopped having the conversation and, and we've just slipped away because it's just so much easier to hit the unsubscribe button than it is to subscribe or to hit the righteous button. And we could live in a buffered culture and pretend that it's okay and make excuses because after all, we're, we're a very advanced society and we know how to get these things done. So we'll just, we'll just slip Jesus into the cracks of our life because that's kind of where we think he deserves to be. And, 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 and in doing so, we belittle the covenant and we belittle the blood trail and, and, and we just kind of do our own thing because after all, we think we're really, really, really important and, and we're different. We're in a bit of a different category. And now we come to this moment and God stands in the middle of a blood trail and says... keep walking it because I know you can't but if you'll come to me I'll carry you so we're going to have a little moment this morning just a, a quick little moment where we're going to get a chance to kind of take stock with God I don't know about you but this past week I found myself praying a prayer with all that I am and all that I have it's all yours it's all yours So I'm going to give you a moment to deal with God in the way that you need to. Maybe you need to confess that the week's been full of unsubscribe, unsubscribe, unsubscribe. Maybe there's some moments that you need to just come to him and say, God, I forgot. I got buffered, but I need to remember. Maybe you just need to have a moment of thankfulness and say, Jesus, you walked the trail. I recognize that and I'm so thankful today. But whatever it is that you need to say to God, I want you to remember He cut the covenant for you. This is personal. So let's take a moment, bow our head, close our eyes and pray. And I'll just get us started. God, you know each one of our hearts and you know who's grown cold, who's grown busy and distracted, who feels guilty or afraid or angry or wounded and now you come to this moment and you promise to heal us if we'll come and renew a covenant with you. So God, we admit we're kind of a mess. But we thank you that you were the one who did what we couldn't do for ourselves. And the promise and covenant you made with Abraham was fulfilled completely and even improved with a new covenant in Jesus. And so, Lord, right now, we do business with you. Father God, I can't speak for anybody else in the room, but 
God, my heart's weary. And my tears are dry. Because I too often try to do too much of this myself. So I come back. And I thank you that you have grace to renew a covenant that I often neglect. God, I pray healing for my heart and for each one of my brothers and sisters on this beautiful Sunday morning. God, I thank you that you walked the blood trail for me. May I never lose sight of you. And Lord, for those who've never begun a personal relationship with you, I pray that today, in the midst of all of this imagery, that they would see a simple message, that God loved them enough to pay that price. So Lord Jesus, may we all give our heart fully and completely to you. And we thank you for an opportunity to enter back into that covenant again. And we pray these things in your precious son's name. And all God's messes agreed together and said,